From CITI Program, I'm Darren Gaddis, and this is On Campus. Today, what are fair grading practices? How are they used in online learning? And how fair grading practices can address issues of access and equity in higher education? I spoke with Michael Paul, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at Tallahassee Community College on fair grading practices in online learning environments. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to provide legal advice or guidance. You should consult with your organization's attorneys if you have questions or concerns about relevant laws and regulations discussed in this podcast. Additionally, the views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenter. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. Today, we are talking about a rather important topic in higher education, fair grading practices in online learning, especially as more and more learners are opting to enroll in online or hybrid courses. To get us started, what are fair grading practices? Well, Darren, fair grading practices are exactly that. They're fair. In math, like a fair game is one in which every player has the same odds of success. Now, individual students, we know that they have differing levels of aptitude, of work ethic, of academic preparation, and course engagement. So it's expected that they're going to have different grades in the course. But fair grading practices ensure that those grades are aligned with their mastery. So grades should accurately communicate to students and to other teachers in subsequent courses the scope of their learning in a course and also how prepared that student is for the next level of learning. Unfair grading practices would be any that inaccurately represent a student's demonstrated ability. Like grades are the documentation trail a teacher leaves for others in the uh, academy. That was in air quotes. So fair grading is not only important, it's a professional imperative. What are fair grading practices in online learning and how does it impact a student's learning experience? Well, fair grading is important because it's the foundation for trust between students, teachers, educational institutions, and even employers who may take course credit as evidence that a student has academic skills that they might be able to apply in the workplace. In an online course, this role is amplified because grades may be the primary source for individual feedback in that class. Especially, this is especially true in asynchronous courses where teachers aren't necessarily spending a lot of time looking students in the eye and talking to them. Um, Instead, they are communicating both through grading and through feedback. You just gave us a lot to think about and talked a lot about why it is important to have fair grading practices, especially in an online learning environment. How do faculty and staff implement those fair grading practices into their online courses? That's a great question. Uh, There's a few places where faculty can make a huge leap towards equity in their grading. Some small changes that can be made to the structure of assessments, how grades are calculated, and actually what's being graded can make a huge impact on the fairness of grades. The first practice up on the chopping block here would be multiple choice assessment items. Dr. Anissa Ramirez um, wrote an article called The Dark History of Multiple Choice Testing for Edutopia. And in that, she really suggests that rather than support learning, multiple choice tests support teaching to the test, which narrows the curriculum to the least common denominator, the average or the middle of the road learner, right? Um, But the thing is that multiple choice tests aren't really uh, aren't really fair. They have a dubious history. 
Stephen Jay Gould wrote a book called The Mismeasure of Man a few years back. And in that, he talks about how IQ testing was initially developed to identify the, quote, feeble-mindedness in unwanted groups. And here he usually means, um, like, these are groups determined by race or the country of origin. And so um, he details in that book how the president of the APA, like the American Psychological Association, Robert Yerkes, um, in the 20s, wanted to bring quantitative rigor to the field of psychology. So he piloted these multiple choice tests for the army, and um, that way they could bring efficiency to the ranking of their soldiers. But despite testing nearly 2 million soldiers, the results were found to be invalid, and the army said that there was no value in them and they were completely dismissed. That story isn't really told in, um, you know, in the story of multiple choice testing, though, because we're so, we sort of celebrate it as this move towards objectivity and efficiency. My advice is not to ditch all multiple choice questions completely, but instead, instructors can change how they're using multiple choice tests. So in Classroom Grading and Assessment that Work by Robert Marzano, he tells us that well-constructed test items include a variety of question types, and that may include some multiple choice items. However, adding follow-up items such as explain the mistake in thinking that might lead to one of these incorrect answer choices can increase the validity of that item. Marzano also cautions that well-constructed assessments of learning should address all levels of mastery in a class. That is, they should be practiced in class or individually before the assessment. So those would be like low complexity routine tasks. They should also include high complexity tasks that have been demonstrated in class or practiced at home. And then um, they should also include novel tasks that synthesize across ideas or apply content in a way students hadn't previously encountered them. That way, all students have an entry point to the assessment. And there's also room to distinguish the highest levels of mastery from sufficient performance. Each level of knowledge should be approximately equally represented in the assignment. And this actually leads me into my next recommendation for fair grading practices. How we calculate grades on assignments matters. Grading using the average or the mean, dividing points earned by points possible, that artificially equates all the different types of questions and all the content being assessed. And it also gives imprecise feedback to students. A better practice would be the use of holistic grading um, so based on a GPA, a four-point GPA rubric scale. If every assessment item is graded on a GPA scale, then the description of mastery that's communicated by that grade, it's consistent with their demonstrated performance. The last recommendation I have is that instructors should consider what they grade. Grade categories that assess studentship behaviors, like participation or completion, as opposed to performance, or compliance, like um, maybe grades from a syllabus quiz or uh, an instructor that assigns extra points for proving that a student has read the fine print, um, that a student has read the fine print in the directions or in a task. Those are acceptable, but Marzano actually suggests that we cap the, those sort of items at 10% of the total grade. On the other hand, individual demonstrations of mastery, whether they're formative or summative, they should form the basis of a student's grade. Do fair grading practices and online courses offer each student a fair playing field? That's exactly it, Darren. Implementing fair grading practices does not mean everyone gets the same grade, but rather the grade that you get accurately reflects your understanding and ensures that passing the class depends on your mastery, not just on compliance or your investment of time. Fair grading practices build a foundation for other equitable practices, but 
Instructors still need to be aware of the legal requirements for academic accommodations for those students that have diagnosed learning disabilities. They may require an individual education plan. And if an, a student has an IEP, then um, fair grading removes one cause for inequity. But we just need to remember it's not a fix-all measure. Today, you have mentioned a lot about fair grading practices in online courses. How do these principles of fair grading practices accommodate access and equity issues students might face in an online course? Well, I would say the largest effect of fair grading is to minimize the percentage of grade that depends on unequal access to resources. That is how much of a student's grade is based on work a student did versus work they didn't necessarily complete on their own. Some students can afford to hire private tutors for their homework assignments or hire editors for their essays, and they can also pay for ultra-fast internet connections and high-tech devices, for example. But when the vast majority of a grade comes from reviewing individual mastery or assignments that a student completed individually, ideally under the eye of the instructor, whether that's using a digital monitoring, uh, a digital proctoring system like honor lock or whether that's just from being present in a physical classroom. When the vast majority of the grade comes from reviewing those sort of individually completed assignments, then the impact of those unequal resources is less profound. No classroom policy can completely negate issues of access and equity, but fair grading absolutely can contribute to them. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for your time. And I really hope that your listeners will consider implementing some small changes in their fair grading practices that are going to have some big results. Be sure to follow, like, and subscribe to On Campus with CITI program to stay in the know. I also invite you to review our content offerings regularly as we are continually adding new courses and webinars that may be of interest to you. All of our content is available to you anytime through organizational and individual subscriptions. You may also be interested in CITI programs addressing and understanding mental health challenges for faculty and staff webinar. Please visit the CITI programs website to learn more about all of our offerings.